hear God's word. And as we do here, we want to make sure that we are ready to hear God's word by, by convicting our, um, our hearts, by physically standing, by paying reverence to the word of God. Uh, so please stand now as we hear the reading of God's word. Hear God's word, Nahum chapter 1, beginning in the first verse. An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Alkosh. The Lord is jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry, and dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither, the bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him, the hills melt. The earth heaves before him, the world, all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great privilege of being a God who hears. So God, we continue to bring our request uh, before you. Father, we, we lift up Miss Mary Boyd. God, we pray that you would be gracious to her uh, in these last weeks of life. God, we pray that you would just surround her with the comfort that comes to the Holy Spirit of God. Father, that she knows whom she has believed, God, that you will enter, allow her to, to see uh, you face to face. So, dear God, we pray that you would be merciful and kind to her. We would pray that you would minimize her pain these, these last days. And, God, I pray that you would be with Sandra uh, in particular, God, that you would encourage her heart with the hope of the gospel and that you would use her mom's faithfulness uh, to encourage her heart to continue to trust in you. Uh, Father, we do pray for all those uh, in our congregation who are lonely, God. And as we, as we think about caring for them, God, we pray that you would, would comfort their hearts, that you would go before us and prepare their hearts with uh, the comfort that comes from your spirit. And God, we pray that you would rise up this congregation, you would convict our hearts for care, to care for the least of these, God. As we care for them, Lord, we know that we are caring for them on your behalf. So, dear God, I pray that you would convict and encourage all the people of God here at Park, God, that you would allow us to be your hands and feet as we care for the lonely and the hurting. Father, we do pray that you would continue uh, to be with the leaders of our nation. Uh, God, we pray today that you would be with uh, all the judges that are surrounding uh, our nation. God, not just those who are serving on the, on the highest court of the land, but God, those in, in appellate courts and appeals courts all throughout our, our nation. God, we pray that you would give them wisdom as they govern. God, that they would understand that they are ones who will also uh, have to stand before the judge. So God, we pray that all the judgments they make, they would make in light of their final day before you. Uh, Father, we pray that you would continue to be uh, with the gospel in other, other nations. God, we pray for uh, the gospel in India today. We, we thank you so much for what you're doing in that land, God, how people are so sensitive and ready to hear the gospel. God, we pray that you would continue to um, give that, that the church in India health, God, that you would protect them from the prosperity gospel that is so prevalent uh, being exorced from this land. So, God, we pray that you would uh, make your gospel strong in India. 
Father, we also just pray uh, for that here uh, in Rock Hill. We pray, God, that you and your kindness would just be with pastors as they preach your word. We pray that you'd be with Joey Deese this morning, the pastor of Oakdale Baptist Church. We pray that as he preaches and announces your word, God, that you would mold that congregation more and more into your likeness. We pray that you would make uh, Pastor Joey one who loves your word and preaches soundly, that they would hear and believe. Uh, Father, we come now to the, to the time where we want to soften our hearts, uh, that we would hear from you. God, I am but a man, so I pray, God, that you would allow me to decrease and that you would increase, that the name of Jesus Christ would be exalted. Oh, God, I pray that you would help us understand both your goodness and your wrath, Lord. We pray that we would understand why your jealousy is good for us. And, God, I pray that in the midst of whatever trials we're going through, God, I pray that we would know that you are our, our king, the one who gives us victory. So, God, as we have sung, I pray that we, you would allow us to be of good courage, Lord, as we, as we trust in you this day. So, Father, I pray that you would uh, sharpen our minds and give us focus. God, we pray that the Holy Spirit would, 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 would come in power through this message, that people would indeed trust you, Lord, that they would know that you have indeed the final word uh, over our lives. God, I pray, God, that we would trust you. So, God, we pray that you would do much in this time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever had a friend that ends conversations abruptly? I have one friend in my life, and the conversation will be going great. We'll be having a great conversation. But when, he, when it's time for him to go, it's time for him to go. And it's quick and it's fast. Um, he makes his last remarks, and then he is gone. Um, and it seems like he always has the last word. Uh, a friend of mine, a mutual friend, said that wisely, uh, it's always a good way to avoid an argument by saying something and then walking out the door. The one who has the last word often wins the argument. Uh, that's not to say that those who believe they have the last word, but the one who actually has the last word. A disagreement between friends is much different between a disagreement between the state and one of its citizens. The one who has the final word is the one who has the authority to end the argument. A citizen may believe they are not guilty, but their belief in their innocence does not determine reality. The reality is, in situations of law, it is the judge and the jury that have the final word regarding one's innocence. The final reality is determined by the one who has the last word. This is important because we live in an age that teaches us that we have the final word. Individually, we have the final word of what is good and what is bad in our own lives. Our postmodern society teaches us that truth is relative. Therefore, we can do whatever makes us happy. Whether we choose to marry someone of the same sex, or whether we decide to take the life of an unborn child, truth in America is relative. And truth is not only relative in America, but throughout the West, all the way through Europe. Uh, when the Duchess of Cambridge, Kate Middleton, gave birth to her first uh, son, uh, Prince William and her announced to the world, it's a boy. Yet many people responded to that simple announcement by saying, let the baby decide. There's a growing movement that starts to question the very fabric of common sense and saying that the person it is the person's right to decide whether they want to be female or male. Uh, even social media giant Facebook allows new users to choose up to 50 different gender options 
when they join. The world we now live in does not believe in the simple option of either male or female, but rather believes it is the individual's right to decide who has the last word on their gender. Is it possible for a human being to have the last word on their own gender? What about other things? Can a, can a person have the last word regarding who they should or shouldn't marry? Does a person have the last word on whether they are a good person or not? And if people do not have the last word, who does? This small prophecy of Nahum will answer that question, who has the last word? It appears that Nahum was a written prophecy rather than one was announced. Um, Nahum chapter 1, verse 1 reads, An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. We have almost no biographical information of Nahum. We have his name, and we have that he was from Elkosh. But we don't know where Elkosh is. We do know that when Nahum wrote this prophecy down, it was against Nineveh. Now, most scholars believe that Nineveh was located near uh, where modern-day Mosul, Iraq is. Like Jonah before him, Nahum went to Nineveh with a prophecy. And yet, quite differently than Jonah, experienced very different results. Nahum announces emphatically who will have the last word. I pray this would be encouraging to you as we think about all the things that are happening in our society, both abroad and here, with people claiming to have the last word. What God says is that he will speak the final word. So point number one, he will have the, the last word over his enemies. He will have the last word over his enemies. Nahum spoke against Nineveh as the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And speaking against Nineveh, he's speaking against the king and the entire empire. Assyria was known for its cruelty and vicious treatment of all the people of Israel, but really all people in general. Uh, the Assyrian king, Arushbanel, once wrote how to deal with those who opposed him. I quote, As for the common men who spoke derogatory things against my god Asher, and had applauded against me, the prince who reveres him, I tore their tongues and abased them. As a posthumous offering, I smashed the rest of the people alive by the very figures of protective deities between which they had smashed Sennacherib, my grandfather. Their cut-up flesh I fed to the dogs, swine, jackals, birds, vultures to the birds of the sky, and to the fishes of the deep pool. You could see the, the harsh and brutal way they dealt with those who opposed them. Their brutality allowed them to, to really gain much strength and success in their day. Much like ISIS or Hamas of today, their brutality struck, the, struck fear in the hearts of their adversaries. It's easy for Assyria to believe that they were always going to rule. At the time of this prophecy, they really expanded much of the, the known world. They were powerful and they were strong. They indeed had the last word in many of their battles. They showed their, their might and their comprehensive cruelty. They believed that they were safe and that they were, in their strength, was going to protect them. But they did not realize how weak their mighty power was compared to Almighty God. The strength of Almighty God was coming to bring His wrath upon a wicked nation. Look at verse 2 of chapter 1. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. 
The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. So the Lord saw their brutality. He saw the, 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 the evil they were doing to the people of, that he created, and he was going to bring his vengeance upon them. It's a fool's errand, beloved, to think that one can stand against the Lord. People may have the illusion of victory, as many do in our day, but that is exactly what it is. It is an illusion. Nahum makes this clear. Verse 6. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. Verse 8. With an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. What do you plot against the Lord? He will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise up a second time, for they are entangled thorns like drunkards as they drink. They are consumed like stubble fully dried. For you came out, one who plotted evil against the Lord, a worthless counselor. Thus says the Lord, though they are at full strength and many, they will be cut down and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. Verse 14. The Lord has given commandment about you. No more shall your name be perpetuated from the house of your gods. I will cut off the carved image and the metal image. I will make your grave, for you are vile. Nahum promises the Lord's vengeance will come in all its fury against Nineveh. No one can stand against the Lord. Nahum preached this message to the most powerful nation of the day. It is as if I went to New York City, stood in Times Square, and said, America will be destroyed. In that day, as in today, they would laugh at someone who made such a prophecy. Well, Jonah prophesied against Nineveh, and they repented. But that repentance that they had when Jonah preached only was short-lived. Around 745 B.C., Tilgath-Pelser III made Assyria the leading power in the world. They established their might with bloodshed and cruelty, plundering and torturing and bringing destruction upon the world. We read of Assyria even towards Judah in 2 Kings 18 when King Hezekiah was forced to, to be a, become a vassal state paying heavy taxes to Assyria under King Sennacherib. Well, Assyria was sent by God to destroy the ten northern kingdoms of Israel. Sennacherib made the capital of his empire, Nineveh. Listen to what one says about Nineveh. Nineveh was one of the grandest and most powerful cities on earth. Its size and power and wealth inspired fables. Its walls were a good picture of this magnificence. At least two series of walls surrounded the whole city running for miles and miles. The inner wall, higher of the two, was about 100 feet high and broad enough for three chariots to race abreast, side by side. On the outside of the two set of walls was a moat 150 feet wide and 60 feet deep. The Tigris and other smaller rivers surrounding Nineveh made the city appear impregnable. Nineveh appeared unbeatable. But even the best efforts of men cannot stand against the Lord. Babylon was sent 
and was just destroyed, Nineveh, in 612 B.C. After the destruction of Nineveh, a complete and utter destruction, a small group of Assyrians retreated, escaped, and they mounted a comeback in 609 B.C. They lost and were erased from the pages of history. The mightiest nation that the world had seen was destroyed completely. If you read through Nahum's prophecy, you see that again and again. A complete end, a complete end will pass away. See, Nahum did not just write an oracle, but he wrote a a vision. A literal vision of the terrible destruction of Nineveh. When you read chapters 2 and 3, I would encourage you to do this at home. He describes in vivid detail what happens when Nineveh was destroyed. The key phrase is not about the outcome of the battle, but but why the outcome occurred itself. Uh, Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord. Verses 2, chapter 2, verse 13 and 3, 5, this is what it says. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will burn your chariots in smoke, and the sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers shall no longer be heard. And verse 3, 5. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts, and will lift up your skirts over your face, and I will make nations look at your nakedness and kingdoms at your shame. The Lord says, I am against you. The proud nation will be put to shame. Think of those four words. I am against you. The Lord will have his final word. There is no worse fate and no worse fear to have God Almighty be against you. All illusions are over. The reality has set in. Beloved, as we we see how God is against Nineveh, we should ask ourselves, is God against me? Is God against me in my life? Hebrews 10.31 It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God is against all those who pose Him. We are born against God because of our sin. Our sin causes condemnation. Our sin may not be visibly as vile as the Assyrians, but our sin is no less evil in the eyes of God. God does not set himself against us. We set himself, ourselves up against him. Regardless of how we try to hide our sin, God will one day expose us. He says of the Ninevites here that their, their nakedness will be exposed and the nations will look upon their shame. You see a similar language in in Genesis chapter 2 with Adam and Eve. They were both naked and without shame. But we know right after they sinned against God, they they tried to cover their nakedness with fig leaves. But Hebrews 9.22 writes, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The covering that Adam and Eve tried to provide for themselves was insufficient to cover up their sins. They knew, like we know now, that when we are exposed in our sin, we need a covering. And only God can provide that covering. He did it for Adam and Eve. He shed the blood of an animal, covering them with skin, covering their, um, with a covering of skin and clothed them. Genesis 3.22. Beloved, only God can provide a covering. Is God against you? Are you like Adam and Eve who tried to hide their shame? 
Or are you like the Assyrians who trusted in their pride and, the, the, and their power, thinking that their shame would never be exposed? Friend, one day you and I will stand exposed and God will judge all our secrets before Jesus Christ. On that day, will God be against you? On that day, will you have a covering for your shame? Look at verse 6 again. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? I challenge you, read Nahum and see the outcome of all who attempt to stand against God and endure his anger. The second area or people that the Lord has will have the last word is over his own people. The Lord will have his word over his own people. We looked at the illusion of success that the enemies of God will have, but we should also look at the illusion of the failure of the people of God. It may look in this world that the people of God are failing. God's people throughout history have always faced harsh and brutality. The Assyrians were just one of many. And in that day, they were powerless to stop it. They looked on as if they had the hope of victory was small. See, the lie of the world is to believe that our present circumstances equate with our future reality. As Christians, we believe God's word, what God's word says over what we can see. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, defines faith as the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please him, God. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We believe despite what we see. We believe based on what we have heard. We do not live in the age of the eye. We live in the age of the ear. The righteous will live by faith in what we hear from God's word rather than what we see. See, Judah was in a dangerous and helpless circumstance. They could do nothing. But wait on God. I'm not sure if you've noticed this, the new song that we sang today. Uh, many of you may have a hard time singing it. That was probably my third time singing it. I struggled through it. Uh, but if you go back, read those lyrics. Read those lyrics. They are fitting for today's message. I mean, you ever been there in a situation where you were powerless and all you could do was wait on God? In their helpless states, the Lord brings the last word for his people. In Nahum chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. Thus says the Lord, Though they are at full strength in many, they will be cut down and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. And now I will break his yoke from off you and will burst your bonds apart. Verse 15. Behold, upon the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Keep your feast, O Judah, fulfill your vows. For never again shall the worthless pass before you. He is utterly cut off. God's people are not promised peace and comfort in this life. We are promised final peace and final comfort in glory. He even, uh, God even ends Nahum's book with a, with a picture of, of the people of God clapping over the destruction of Nineveh. Go to chapter 3, verse 19. It says, There is no easing your hurt. Your wound is grievous. All who hear news about you clap their hands over you. For upon whom has not come your unceasing evil. Listen, when ISIS is finally destroyed, God's people will clap. 
Now, that's far off from us because we live in the safety of America, but there are our brothers and sisters right now who are under the fear of death every single day by ISIS or, or by Boko Haram in Nigeria. Those are the reality in which our people live under. They're trying to exterminate Christians, and they may be led to believe that this is your lot in life. Well, in our life, it may be difficult, it may be challenging, but one day God is going to bring us in his presence, and he will have the final word over us and over our enemies. But until then, we know that our trials, whatever we face, produces something in us. First Peter 1. It says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Trials now, glory later. Romans 8. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. The foundation of our joy in the midst of our trials stems from the hope and the peace offered to, with, uh, in Jesus Christ from God. Jesus has come and taken our shame and made a covering. He bled and died to give us peace with God and hope for eternal life. So regardless of whatever the world tries to make us believe, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. We are surrounded uh, by pain brought by the enemies of God. Whether it's emotional, financial, or physical pain, we live in the promise, the sweet promise that absolutely nothing can separate us from his love. And he will give the victory, he will give the final victory with his final word. Romans chapter 8 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall naked, sorrow, famine? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Beloved, do not live by sight. We live by faith in the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God will vindicate his people. And how encouraging is this truth for our brothers and sisters across the world. As ISIS brutally demonstrates its brutality across the Middle East, or Boko Haram uh, spreads violence in Nigeria, or King Jong-un uh, steps on the necks of, of the people of God in North Korea, God's people can know that God does not turn a blind eye to those wicked nations. He will avenge his people. Brothers and sisters, we need to pray for our, our brethren throughout the world and the trials they're going through, as ruthless di dictators and militant extremists push bloodshed and violence. Beloved, God will bring justice on wicked nations, nations that promote greed and violence, nations that celebrate sexual morality and twist God's designs, nations that oppress God's people and trust in their military might as their salvation. God will be an avenger for his people. Lastly, God will have the last word on his character. The last word on his character. Sometimes as we've been reading through the minor prophets, there's a lot more wrath, it feels like, than, than grace. Uh, we see the Lord bringing utter destruction upon his enemies. 
Uh, we see him allowing the wicked deeds to be done to his people. In our humanity, we read things like this and have a hard time sometimes reconciling them in our human minds. Those outside the faith may read the same things and, and tend to bring judgments down upon God. In their lack of wisdom and understanding, they try to turn the tables on God's revealed word. But beloved, it is not man who judges God's character. It is God who has the last word on his character and who will judge the deeds of man. Nahum starts out this book defining the character of God. Go back to chapter 1, verse 2. It says, The Lord is jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His ways in the world when in the storm, the clouds, and the dust of his feet. It says God is jealous. Beloved, God is jealous for his own glory. There is no greater aim in the entire universe than the glory of God. God's jealousy for his own name is the foundation of all God's promises. God wants what is best for us. And what God thinks is best for us is actually best for us. If we love something other than God as our supreme and ultimate love, well, then we love something that is less than. So if God is going to be God, he has to be jealous. Because he wants you to love his glory as much as he loves his own glory. Because he is the supreme good in our world. It says that he is slow to anger and great in power. He will by no means clear the guilty. God must punish the guilty. He cannot look the other way. He has to deal with sin. But if we are, we are guilty, how then, the Bible says, how can anyone stand before the heat of his anger? As I said before, we need a covering. God has provided that covering in the blood of the Lamb. As Israel had a covering from the angel of death, from the blood of the Lamb, shed across the door of the house, we have a covering from the heat of God's anger with the blood of the Lamb shed across our hearts. Beloved, Jesus Christ is the only way that we can stand before God. Because for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising his shame, and was raised to, to sit at the right hand of the throne of God. Assyria, very vividly in Nahum, drank the cup of God's wrath. Because of their sin. But Christ, but Christ drank the cup of God's wrath for our sin and all who repent and turn to him in faith. God crushed Christ so we could experience his goodness. And as Christ rose from the dead that first Easter morning, God spoke his final word over us saying, it is finished. His final word proved that Jesus was and is and will always be good to his people. His resurrection proved that God was pleased with a perfect sacrifice for sinful humanity. This is why we, we rejoice in Nahum 1.7, which reads, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in Him. The Lord knows His people in that final day of trouble when the sun comes to bring vengeance upon the earth, to, to rightly subdue the sin in this world. The only one who can stand in the heat of His anger are those who take refuge in the covering of Christ. The Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. A refuge in the storm. Because He provides a covering for our shame. 
God spoke a word of judgment against a wicked nation to encourage his people to trust him. As our nation, beloved, continues to drift from the Lord, we, like Judah in Nahum's day, have an obligation to continue to publish the good news. Nahum 1.15 Behold, upon the mountains the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Beloved, we must bring the good news to our world that God has made peace through the blood of his cross. We must not be silent. We must announce that in Christ there's a covering for sin. There's a covering of your shame and your nakedness. If we know that, let me just ask a simple and convicting question. When was the last time you published peace? When was the last time you announced the good news? That there's a God who sent his son to take your sin upon the cross to cover all your shame. If we do not bring the good news, then who? Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then they who call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Friends, God is sending us. He has sent us into the world to share the gospel. Beloved, do not forsake the freedom we have in our nation to share the good news. Let us offer the covering for people's sin and their shame in Christ. Beloved, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. But the Lord is also good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. The Lord will have the last word over our life and the lives of our neighbors. Will it be, depart from me, I never knew you, or well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And one last question. What will be God's last word for you? Depart. Well done. Let's pray. God, we pray that we would be a people who trust your word. God, that we would know that you are a jealous and avenging God that when our enemies come and assail us, God, that we would trust in you, that we would be of good courage. And, oh, God, I pray that we would always know that you are good, that you are a stronghold in the day of trouble, and you know those who take refuge in you. So, God, I pray for those who are here that we would have that final word spoken over us. Well done. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.